Good morning, everybody. I'm Scott McKee, and I'm the senior pastor of Ward Church in Northville, Michigan. I'm with my friend Harvey Carey, pastor of Citadel of Faith Church in Detroit. We're going to share this morning's sermon, which is being broadcast to the Ward Church congregation and the Citadel of Faith congregation and guests and visitors all around the United States and world. Whatever your location, background, age, color, or creed, we are glad that you have joined us today. You know, in light of all of the unrest that is happening in our world today, uh, Scott and I found it pertinent for us to not only come together as friends, uh, but for our churches to join together to be reminded that in Christ we're one. And I can't think of a better time uh, for the church to model what oneness means other than right now. So we're so glad for Citadel of Faith and Ward Church together uh, to be worshiping. And I want to personally welcome the congregation from Citadel of Faith. I have followed your story for more than a decade. I have watched you as you have changed locations and changed locations again, and you have moved with patience and integrity and hope. Your reputation as a church that puts faith into action has inspired me and many others. You have lived up to your name, Citadel. You are a light on a hill, and I'm so grateful for your work in the city and beyond. And Ward Church, uh, what an honor it is to be with you today because your work in the city of Detroit uh, has not just started, uh, but it has been a mission and a priority for you to not only invest in the lives and the people of the city of Detroit, but really around the world. And our church specifically has been blessed by things that you've done privately. Uh, many of you that are sitting in your homes have no idea the ways in which Ward Church has come alongside of our ministry to ensure that we're able to reach the most needy people and do the greatest work. Uh, so to all of the leadership, to all of the members of Ward Church uh, and to Citadel of Faith, what a great day this is for us to worship together yeah. and to be the body. Yeah, thank you. For simplicity, we decided that I'll make some introductory comments and then Harvey will preach from the text of the day. Our goal today is to aid mutual understanding, mutual love, and mutual purpose within the body of Christ. Now, we understand that our listeners today have had vastly different experiences and therefore have vastly different perspectives, and yet we have all discovered this one they call Jesus. We are united in Him, one faith, one Lord, one hope, one church. Our world has been rocked by the death of George Floyd. The horrifying details all captured on video. A police officer puts his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck as he gasps for breath. We hear him say repeatedly, I can't breathe. We hear him call out, Mama. We watch him die. It is so stark, so blatant, so clear that there is no excuse, no defense, no ambiguity, and the whole nation, black, white, and other, can see this is wrong. This is murder. And judging by the posts on Facebook, everyone in America condemns the killing. So if everyone agrees, why can't we solve this problem? Why are we still here? One of the ways those of us who are white have contributed to the problem is this. We recognize racism in its most blatant forms, but fail to recognize it in its more subtle forms. What happened to George Floyd on May 25 didn't just happen as a single event. There are hundreds of subtleties that lead up to an event like that. And it is the subtleties that are hard for white people to see. The, the blatant ones I've got, I post on Facebook against them. 
I see my posts as evidence that I am a person of justice, but I miss the daily low-dose racism that adds up over time. The evil one does his best work in subtleties. My friend Harvey and I have a lot in common. We are the same age. We graduated from high school the same year. We are products of the 1980s. Uh, he married his wife, Nancy, just a few years before I married my wife, Angie. We started our families about the same time. But our experiences growing up have been very different. Our experience now is very different. Listen, I've, I've never been followed in Somerset Mall by people who asked me what I was doing there. Harvey has. Harvey and I are, are both excellent drivers and uh, who, we, who generally obey all the traffic laws. Uh, but we have each, on very rare occasions, been pulled over by police for speeding only a couple times in my life. And what do you feel that moment when the police light comes on right behind you and you start to pull over? Your, your, your heart races. But my heart races because I am worried about my insurance rates. I've never been worried about my treatment or my safety. Listen, I have long believed that America is the land of opportunity where hard work pays off. I, I still do. But lately I am coming to see in ways that I did not see before that opportunity is not distributed evenly, that, that my experience is not the experience of everybody. Now, I want to be careful here. Just as it is easier to identify racism in its blatant forms than its subtle forms, it is also easier to recognize race, racism in other people than it is to recognize subtle forms of bigotry in ourselves. We need to stand up against police brutality for sure, but we must make sure that, that our main strategy against racism isn't just to point the fingers at people who are more bigoted than we are. We need to do some, some ruthless self-examination. Ask yourself, do I ever make judgments or assumptions based on skin color? Do my friendships include people different than me? Do I ever contribute to stereotypes and division? Have I been active in reconciliation? This would be an excellent time to pray the prayer of David recorded in Psalm 139. He says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's Psalm 139, 23 and 24. The Evangelical Presbyterian Church has set aside tomorrow, Monday, June 8, as a day of lament, prayer, and fasting to cry out to God for his help in the midst of this crisis in the United States. What distinguishes this from previous calls to prayer and fasting is the addition of the word lament. A lament is a deep expression of sorrow and grief. Biblical lament isn't just crying. It's not just venting, it is a form of prayer. It's talking to God about our sorrow. The Bible is filled with prayers of lament. Lament often involves lamenting over our own sin. It usually involves confession. And we have put together some resources on our website about how to lament well. Let us humble ourselves, confess our sin, and call upon our great God to heal our land. It's easy to point fingers at bad police or at violent protesters, but the problem is bigger than that. The problem is the human heart. The problem 
is us. To my African-American friends in the body of Christ, I apologize for my ignorance and for my silence. And I pledge for the rest of my days to be a better advocate for the entire body of Christ in all of its beautiful diversity. When one part of the body grieves, I will grieve. When one part of the body rejoices, I will rejoice. When one part of the body is threatened, I will protect. I will use whatever platform or privilege that has been granted to me to work for justice and equality. I'll close my time today by reading a prayer of Jesus recorded in the Gospel according to John, and Harvey will address this text. Listen now to God's word from John chapter 17. Jesus prayed, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one as we are one, in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. War Church, Citadel of Faith, uh, let's pray together as we approach God's word. Father, we thank you so much for this day. It's a day that you've given to us. We thank you for your word. It is a light on our path. It is a lamp to our feet. God, we pray that your word would illuminate us, give us wisdom, give us instruction in these turbulent times. We'll be so very careful to give you all the glory, all the honor and praise in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You are one of my favorite movies is Titanic, and uh, it's probably one of my favorite movies for several reasons. One is that the movie has two elements in it. It, it appeals to the romantic uh, story uh, of these two lovebirds who come from different sides of the track, uh, who fall deeply in love, and no matter what's happening, they kind of go through it together. But then there's another story of the Titanic sinking, and one of the uh, most iconic uh, parts of that film uh, is when a band that is playing on the deck realizes that there's nothing that they can do and they continue to play as the Titanic is going down in the water because literally uh, even though the part of the boat that they were on was not sinking yet they were still in a sinking ship uh, even though for some of us we may not be impacted by the pandemic or impacted by even the racial divides that face us we're really in the same boat and Jesus was very mindful for us and to us about ways that the church especially can respond to difference and difficulty. And in this great prayer that he prayed in John chapter 17, he gave us some marching orders that would really help the church, especially in times like this, know what to do. I don't know about you, but as an African-American man, I'm a pastor, I'm a friend with many people that don't look like me, and everybody's asking the question, what do we do? I'm not a politician. I'm not a person in the arts or in entertainment. I'm not someone in corporate America. I'm a pastor. And so my call is to speak to the church and speak to those who claim the name of Christ. And I'm so grateful for Ward Church and so grateful for my friend Scott who decided to say, look, let's not let this moment pass and the church not speak biblically to what our call is. And so the scripture tells us really how we can be called to unity. If I could put a tag on this text and uh, use a subject matter, it would be a prayer for unity. And there are three things that I want to lift up in this prayer for unity. I want to talk about the people in the text, the process of the text, and finally the product 
of the text. So three things. I want to talk about the people that are found in the text and then the process in the text and then finally the product or the result of the text. First of all, it starts with the people. So to whom is Jesus addressing this prayer? Now, I don't know about you, but when I pray, I, I wonder, did my prayers always reach God, right? Uh, can I get a prayer through? Does it, does it always, am I always praying the will of the Father? Uh, we do know that he asks us to pray and he invites us to pray, but I don't know about you. Have you ever prayed a prayer and uh, later on you thank God that he did not hear that prayer? Uh, you're like, okay, God, that was a miss. That was really not your will. Whenever Jesus prayed, we know one thing, that Jesus' prayers were always in the will of God. We know that his prayers always were focused on God's glory, and we know that his prayers also always get answered. Jesus' prayers were very focused. Uh, many of us call the Lord's Prayer what we really know to be the model prayer. The Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Many people call that the Lord's Prayer. That was really not his prayer because in that prayer there were the words, forgive us of our sins. And many of you know that Jesus never sinned, so that was not his prayer. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, this is how you do it. John chapter 17 is actually his prayer. And inside of this prayer, he says, I'm praying in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. Which them is he speaking about? He's saying the disciples and the apostles that were gathered in the day. He said, what I'm getting ready to pray now is not just for this group of people that exists right now. Well, who is it, Jesus, that you're praying this prayer for so we can know the recipients of it? He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. For every one of us who've become believers in Jesus Christ because of the apostles' message, he says, this prayer is specifically for you. The joy that I have in my heart is that no matter if we're Ward Church in Northville or Citadel in Detroit, we've called on the name of the Lord because of the message of the apostles, because of what they've preached and because of what they've communicated and what's been written in the Holy Scriptures, we have called on the name of the Lord. And Jesus says now, the prayer that I'm specifically targeting this for are the people who will believe in me through their message. And guess what? If you're watching this, and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then this prayer is for you. This is the will of God for you. This is the will of God for us. And you all, this, this removes ambiguity, doesn't it? This removes uncertainty. Well, I wonder what God, God's will is for my life. That's always the big question, isn't it? What is God's purpose for my life? What is it that God wants me to do? Now, I believe that there's a purpose for everybody. I believe that God literally wants every single person who's called on the name of the Lord to know their God-given spiritual gifts and deploy them in ways that would edify and bless the world. But you all, there's a greater purpose that goes beyond just your, your particular gifts. There's a prayer that he says, I want the church, I want those who call themselves my body to look a certain way. I want them to reflect a certain kind of ideology. And I guess the question would be then, Pastor, what is that way that he wants us to look? What is that ideology? So we first find out that the people that he's talking to is us. We need to know that. Because if we can pass the buck and say, well, this prayer is for somebody else, then we'd miss the whole point. He says, anyone who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if that is you, this is his prayer for us. Verse 21. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So what is his prayer? His prayer is for unity. 
His prayer is for us to be one. Now, you all, this is one of the greatest uh, lessons I've learned in my uh, life as a pastor and as a Christian. And I pray, honestly, that as I share this, this will become revelation in your heart. How many of you guys have ever read the Ten Commandments before? All right. Anybody ever read them? All right. All right. If you've read the Ten Commandments, I don't know about you. Do you ever get depressed like around the first one or maybe the second? I mean, if, if, if you're like me, there are moments that you go through that and you're like, okay, I broke that one. I broke that one. I break that one. I mean, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and it's almost confusing to me if you don't really understand the theology behind it. Why would God command, right? These are not great 10 suggestions or 10, you know, requests. These are like 10 commandments. God being holy, God being pure and righteous. He says, for those who will commune with me and be part of my family, this is what I command that they do, right? Never lie, right? You know, uh, never desire something that's not yours. I mean, all these things that are just seemingly impossible. So why would he ask us or command us to do these things that are impossible for us to do? Why? Because he was saying that humanity can never please God without God. Listen, humanity can never do God-sized things without God infusing his presence and power to achieve those ends. So when Jesus prays this great high priestly prayer that the church this divided community. Listen, we believe in Jesus, but the way that we believe in him are different. As a matter of fact, the way that I'm preaching for some of you all, you're like, okay, Harvey's pretty loud today. Okay, I got to turn my volume down on the TV, right? The way that we worship, the way that we uh, express our faith, they're different because all of us have been made differently, right? And some of us may be more contemplative and others may be more ex extravagant in our worship, right? So all of us are so different. Uh, how could he pray a prayer that we would be one, not just in worship style, but maybe even our view of which side of the aisle we sit on, right? How, how can we be one when, when we view even something that we're looking at it with the same eyes and one may be looking at it one way and another looking at it a way completely different? What a huge prayer. How can two very different people or three or millions of very different people be one? Just as the Great Commission or the Great Commandments or the Ten Commandments were impossible to achieve without the power of God being the fuel that makes it happen, this high priestly prayer of Jesus cannot happen just by our desire and intention. It cannot just happen by empty words of saying, oh, it's time for the church to be one and we need to be unified. It requires a work of the Holy Spirit. It requires a work of God for this impossibility to happen. What does he say? I pray that all of them would be one. Listen, and he says, let me share with you the depth of how their oneness needs to look. He says, just like you and I, Father, are one, I'm praying that they would be one in that same way. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty staggering prayer. In the beginning, God was, you know, Jesus and the Father were one. I mean, they were there before the world began. Never a time apart, never a time broken in fellowship, except when Jesus became sin for us. On this first Sunday, we remember that, right? He said, but I pray that the same level of intimacy, listen, the same level of connection, the same level of relationship that you and I share, Father, that the folk at Ward and Citadel and the people across the world who claim the name of Christ would also share. What a bold prayer. So how do we arrive at that? We know the people that are, that are the focus of this prayer, but what is the process? How do we get there? And here's the answer. We arrive at unity, you all, not just by desire for it. 
We arrive at unity not by just a yearning or a realization that it's necessary, but we arrive at unity by dependence on the Spirit of God to do what we cannot do. I don't know about you, but I know that I'm born again when I find myself doing things that Harvey would not do. Come on now. Have you, ever, have you ever wanted to go off on somebody? I mean, just go left. I mean, you know the old you, the BC, before Christ you. Have you ever had a moment where you just wanted to just go back to your old nature, but something in you said, no, forgive. Uh, no, be gentle. Uh, you know what? Be long-suffering. Uh, be compassionate in that moment. And you know that your natural nature is to never respond that way. But by the Spirit of God in you, right, the Holy Spirit working in you, he begins to do through us or do through you things that you could have never done in and through your own ability. And this unity that we're crying for you all in America and this unity that we need in our world, it cannot be achieved just by human activity alone. Yes, government has its place. Yes, we need to cry and we need to advocate for whatever levels of justice to happen and for things to change at systemic levels. All of those conversations need to be had. But today I'm not here as a politician and today I'm not here as a legislator. I'm here as a child of God. I'm here as a pastor along with my brother Scott. And we're crying out to both of our congregations to realize that unity is not an option. Unity is not a request. But we cannot arrive at it just by desire. We cannot arrive at it just by grieving and hoping that it arrives. We have to arrive at it by complete dependence and reliance on the Spirit of God to do what we could not do by ourselves. Why does he do it that way? He does it that way, you all, so that once it happens, we can't take the credit. We can't take the credit. Oh, boy, it was my brilliant idea that brought unity to the church. Oh, it was our brilliant idea. Scott and I got together over coffee, and we decided, oh, and our churches are one because of our brilliant ideas. We are not that brilliant, but we've got a God by his power that are able to make people that come from different sides of the track, different economic backgrounds, different sides of the aisle, but through the power of Jesus Christ, we lay down the things that divide us. We lay down the things that separate us, and for the cause of the prayer of Christ to be one, one, we become one. You all, it is necessary now more than ever for us to acknowledge that we are in a broken world. We're in a world that is wracked by pain and brokenness. And the answer to that has got to be and has always been Christ. He is the hope of the world. And you all, I cannot say to you enough that I know that we've got to make uh, issues change at governmental levels, but you all, we're the church, we're the body of believers. And this country, whether people want to believe it or not, with all of its brokenness and all of its wrongness, even in our darkest hours, we had enough sense to know that we are not our own creators. We had enough sense to know, even with all of the damnable things and the hurtful things that our history has been littered with, even in the midst of that, we had the, the knowledge and the sense to call on God. And whatever progress that has been made in America, it has been made by believers in Jesus Christ, who decided to bow their knee and turn away from wickedness and say, you know what, God, I can't achieve this beyond you. And any progress that we've made with civil rights, any progress that we've made for reconciliation, any progress that we've made with race issues in America has happened, listen now, when believers in Jesus Christ, both black and white and yellow and red, didn't matter who they were, decided to trust God to do something that we could not do on our own. And today, more than ever, we need the same power of God. We need the children of God, those of us that are called by the name of Jesus, 
to say, you know what, God, I don't know how to arrive at unity in my own strength, but I know by your power that I can. And so I'm encouraging you to depend on him, to lean into him, for us to know that God prayed this prayer, that Jesus prayed that in 2020, yes, those who believe on me through the message of these disciples, my prayer is that they would be one. And he said, I've given them the same glory that you gave me. Hallelujah. The same glory that was given to Jesus, he's given to the church. Do you know that the glory of God is upon you, child of God? I know you're in your living room, but the glory of God is on you in the living room. Some of y'all are in your bed with your little, you know, uh, pajamas on. The glory of God is on you in the bedroom. The glory of God is on you with your cup of coffee. The glory of God is on the American church when we realize that God is our source. Government has never been our source. It's always been God. And in Jesus' name, it's time to rely on him. It's time to pray. It's time to lament. It's time to fast and thank God for the Presbyterian church that on tomorrow has made the declaration it's a day of prayer and lament and wouldn't it be awesome if you not just hear the announcement and say oh well that's cute that they did that but that you lean into that and that you decide to say you know what I can't do this I've got too many issues in my head about this I've got too many emotions in my heart about this and I don't know how I could ever cross a divide into another way of thinking or acting because I've been too wounded or too jaded in my own perspective. But what would happen if all of us, black or white, would say, you know what, I'm laying that down and I'm pu pu pulling up now the Spirit of God to do in me what I can't do by myself. He says, I pray that the glory that you gave me, that they now would have. And then finally, you all, he says these words that close out this text. The people that he's talking to is us. He said, those who believe in me through their message, through the early disciples and apostles, he said, I'm talking to them. And the process that I want to arrive at this unity is for them to realize that they can only arrive at it with my glory. They can only arrive at doing God-sized things with God. If man could come up with answers, we get the glory, right? If mankind could come up with the answers, everybody would applaud the, the people that did it. This is too big of a problem for any person to get the glory. God has maybe created a perfect storm so that when it happens, we all know that God did this and he did it through the believing community. So then pastor, what is the product? What is the end game? All right, we know unity seems, is that the end game? Unity says, no, unity is not the end game. Unity is important, but it's actually something connected to unity that's evangelistic. The church is a missional agency. The church is a missional community. We are on mission to help a lost world that does not know who Christ is know who he is. That is the mission of the church. We do it in different modalities, in different ways, but the end game, our mission statement, right, is that they all would come to know him. So look what it says in verse 23. He says, I in them and you in me, watch this now, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Watch this. Then... The world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He says, this is the end game. There's an evangelistic caveat connected to unity. 
It's not just unity for unity's sake. He says, I'm praying that the church of Jesus Christ would be won by a means that is greater than themselves, by the wind of my spirit moving and operating inside of them so that, watch this now, when people that don't normally like each other, when people that don't normally look the same way, when people that don't normally live in the same neighborhood, when people who don't normally vote the same way, when people who don't normally see things the same way, now they march arm in arm they march sink and step why because God has done something in them that has caused them to put down the things that divide and lift up the bloodstained banner of Jesus above our diversity and what is the end of that he says then the world will know that Jesus was real the only way the world will know that Jesus is real is when we become one and in Jesus name Ward in Jesus name Citadel it's time to become one one let's walk together let's pray together let's lament together let's fast together and let's watch our nation be one nation under God indivisible it is still a nation under God and as we pray this prayer today I'm praying that wherever you are if you've never come to a saving relationship in Jesus Christ it's time to do it it's time for you to say you know I can't do this in and of my own self and if you've already given your life to him praise God now say, God, I need you, Holy Spirit, to strengthen me to do what I can't do on my own. Let's pray together. And let's believe God. Father, thank you so much for what we have heard from your word, the people in the text, the process of the text, and the product of the text. Remind us, God, that unity is what you desire. It's what you prayed for, but it's not the end game. The end game is that once unity is achieved, they'll know that that was achieved by you and therefore believe that you exist. God, do in our churches only what you can do. Do in our world only what you can do. But particularly in this hour, do in the U.S. only what you can do. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Thank you for your prayer, Jesus, for us. Amen and amen. God bless you, Citadel. God bless you, Ward, is our prayer.